Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Gospel Nate. I am Nate. This is the show where we investigate the Word of God to see how God wants us to live our lives. Last week we looked at submitting to God. Submission was the act of putting yourself under an ordered structure of someone or something else. Greek word for that was hupotasso. Sin and death have an order and structure to them. And we can submit to those things if we choose. We saw how our biggest enemy is ourselves and not really the devil. We're too small for the devil and his minions to notice more than half of the time. Most of the time, our flesh is what the problem is. We saw that if we are submitted to God, it is easier to resist the devil. More accurately, it's easier to resist bad things of the flesh. We saw that taking up our cross was not a once a day thing. It means to carry it through your day and through the entire day without a break. Submitting to what Jesus wants for you all day long. Submission is real work. We also saw that trying to save our souls will cost us everything. Your mind, your will, your emotions need to be submitted to the Father. Your selfishness needs to be put to death. You need to know the Father's mind, will, and emotions, and you need to carry those with you. Preserving what you think, feel, and want will only end up costing you in the long run. The sanctification of your soul will be slower, and that is the thing that we're working on continually because, as I've said before, once you're saved in your spirit, you are completely and totally saved in your spirit without exception. And that sanctification in your soul, if resisted hard enough, can actually cause a full stop of sanctification, and you will stay immature in your walk until the day you die, or until you choose to get your act together and start submitting. Because God will not go against your free will. We also briefly went over what it looks like to be handling everything on our own versus submitting to Jesus. And finally, submission with a bad attitude will gain you absolutely nothing, except to show you where you need more work in your soul. But if you're submitting with a bad attitude in the first place, knowing what needs work won't help you a whole lot until you change your attitude. With that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that despite our stubbornness and our unwillingness to yield to you, that you're still waiting there, waiting for us to you know, get our acts together and submit to you. Lord, we thank you that you are always there with outstretched arms waiting for us. And we give you the praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get started. James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God. It is a funny thing. James says if you do this, God will draw near to you. But someone will say, why does God play hide and seek? Or if he wants me so badly, why does he come to me first? But do you want to know, O foolish man, that God is the original gentleman? He will not go against your free will. You have to initiate the contact. The call is already there, and the call was there from the moment you were born. I would go so far as to say the call was there from the moment of conception. How you respond to that call is completely and totally dependent on you. So he's already done the groundwork. Now he's asking you to actually do something in the relationship that he's already started and formed to have with you in the first place. The nerve of him, right? 
requiring you to participate in a relationship, you've got to be a really arrogant person to sacrifice your only son to gain salvation for everyone and then ask them to actually seek you out. For those of you that might be new to this, that was sarcasm because that's really not asking much. He's done everything on his side to make a way for you to be with him. So asking you to step outside of your comfort zone and seek him out is not really a whole heck of a lot. So do your part. Draw near to God. He won't force himself on you. If Sunday morning is all you're going to do, expect nothing great in your life. Draw near to God daily. Jesus commanded us to take up our cross daily. You need to be submitted to that. That submission is going to require relationship. Relationship, relationship, relationship. The next part of the verse gets interesting. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. This part is addressing those with Christ. Most of James is addressing believers, not unbelievers. The Greek for sinner is hamartolos, which means one who is devoted to sin or simply one who sins. The Greek word for cleanse is katharizo. It means to make clean, to remove defilement or to free from guilt of sin. Draw near to God and cleanse your hands from the works of sin. Drawing near to him requires submission. So we are back to the subject of submission. It's like you can't get away from this thing. And it takes humility, right? If you respond to sin with pride, then you're done. Right out of the gate, you're just done. You're toast. There will be worldly sorrow and worldly shame. There will be guilt. There will be no cleansing. So you need to respond with humility. Say, I did this, Lord. Show me the areas of my heart that need to be changed. Show me your love for me in this area. If you respond with excuses, you're in for a long and bad ride. The next part of the verse says, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We looked at the Greek word for double-minded back in James 1.8, dipsukos, two-sold or divided in interest. If you look this up in the Greek, you will find it comes from two Greek words, dice, meaning twice, and suke, meaning soul. Now, your standard Greek concordance will say it means two-spirited. The problem there is that pneuma is Greek for spirit not suke. And once your spirit is saved, it is completely saved. It isn't divided or uncertain in its interest. The Holy Spirit is living with your spirit in the same space. It's hard to be divided in his presence continually, right? Your soul, on the other hand, is much, much easier to divide. So here's a quick recap. Picture a line divided into three parts. On your left is your mind. In your middle is your will. On your right is your emotions. Let's say that in your emotions on the right, you want the things of God. But in your mind on the left, you don't see a problem with the things of the flesh. You end up at war with yourself because you do the things of the flesh, but emotionally, you know they're the wrong. So what if it's the other way around? Your mind on the left wants the things of God and knows what's right. Your emotions on the right want the things of the flesh because it feels good in the moment. You struggle with doing the right thing most of the time and often give in because your emotions desire the bad stuff so strongly. Normally, both of these cases are a result of not knowing how much God loves you in a given area. This leads you to being divided in your soul. 
If you want to hear more on this, check out episode 3 entitled Gaining Wisdom and Being Unstable. Again, that's episode 3, Gaining Wisdom and Being Unstable. Now, back to our main verse. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify is hagnizo. This is similar to cleanse, but it's more ceremonial in nature. It means to set aside something and to consecrate it, to sanctify it. Set your hearts aside for God's use only, you double-minded. You cannot be used for your selfishness and God's purpose at the same time. Those two things are diametrically opposed to each other. And as it says in Titus 1 verse 15, reading from the New King James Version, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Our defilement and engagement with sin literally taints everything that we do. It is one of the few things that holds God back from using us for the kingdom the way that he wants to. It all comes back to our free will and submission to his forgiveness. Now, moving on to our next verse, James 4 verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. The Greek reads pretty straightforward to the English, so there's not much to see here right now. But think about this statement. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let all the good things give place to despair, to shorten the last part. And there's a very good reason for this. If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 9-11, through 11, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might su suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you reproved yourselves to be clear in this manner. In verses 9 and 10, Paul shows the difference between worldly and godly sorrow. And we've talked about this before. Worldly sorrow will make excuses for sin. You feel bad for being caught, you impute blame on others, you judge yourself as being a bad Christian and impute that judgment on God. You now walk around feeling like God is judging you. All of this happens because you stepped outside of Jesus and engaged in sin. And as we've said before, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to to the spirit when you are in jesus you do not want to sin there's just nothing about it that seems appealing as soon as you step out of him to sin you get the condemnation that comes along with it it just doesn't feel right it doesn't feel good and you begin to judge yourself and you feel like it's god that's judging you jesus is just waiting for you to come back to him now let's look at the last verse from the previous passage 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11. Now, this is again in the New King James Version, if you were following along. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, 
What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Now, this is a really fun verse. What diligence it produced. There was an understanding that they needed diligence once they were made aware of the sin. They needed to seek God diligently. They needed to be actively in his presence, to be with him on a daily basis, on a regular basis. It wasn't just about, oh, we're going to, we're going to do the thing to get forgiveness of the sin issue. And then we're going to go back to living our lives how we were before. No, this was about getting back into the relationship with Jesus, with diligence, with steadfastness, with constant daily relationship. Then it goes on to say, what clearing of yourselves? They cleared themselves of the sin. They removed the acts that got them this letter in the first place. And then it says, what indignation? They were indignant towards the sin. They were angry and annoyed with it. What a changed attitude. This is a good example of righteous anger. And most people don't really get this kind of anger. Typically, when we experience anger, it's because somebody upset us because they did something against our awesomeness or our perceived godhood. So our anger is typically backed by a judgment, and that's always wrath. That is always bad, and it's never good. So when you get angry, it's best to check that with the Lord and say, Okay, Lord, I'm angry. Show me why. But these people were angry with the sin, and that is a righteous anger. When you're angry with the sin and the death that it has been causing in your life, that is a good and a righteous anger. And I remember having this anger. And there are still moments in my life where I still have this kind of anger. When I first found out that I could have freedom from pornography, not just accountability freedom, but freedom where I didn't have to fight my flesh to keep from going back. I learned that the sin did not have to rule over me. It changed literally everything about my walk with Jesus. On the surface, that might sound a little melodramatic, but how would your walk change if you knew that Jesus wasn't mad at you all the time? How would it look if you knew that the Father wasn't out to get you? If you knew that both of them were brokenhearted over the sin because it was killing you? And both were waiting for you to return with open arms. For me, I was no longer trying to hide my sin. They already knew it was there, and for the first time in my life, I really understood exactly what that meant. I understood the feeling behind it and the emotion there, too. To just not mentally understand that they knew it was there, but to feel in my heart the same kind of brokenness over that sin. Now, I wasn't trying to hide or excuse my sin, but I was trying to expose it to the light of Jesus. I wanted it exposed so that I could kill it, so I could see what it was and deal with that issue. I had put it on, so now it was time for me to take it off. And we find that reference in Colossians 2, 11 and Colossians 3, verses 8 through 9. Now, I'll pause for a minute so you can go look that up. Uh, so seriously, pause the episode now and, and go look that up. Again, that's Colossians 2, 11 and Colossians 3 verses 8 through 9. I'll wait. Okay, I'll assume you know how to follow instructions on pausing and looking up, so let's continue. We're still on 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, in the New King James Version. 
the part where it says, what fear? This is not fear like someone pointing a gun or a knife at you. This is understanding power. Smart people fear electricity, not because it is out to get you, but they understand the power that it has, which is kind of a play on words and I'll, I'll take that pun. If it isn't handled correctly, you'll be very dead very quickly. So there is a respect there for the power and the danger. It reminds me of a line from the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We know that God is not out to blast us, and we know that God is love, but we seldom consider the true power that he has, and we very seldom take it seriously. We do not understand what we are playing with every single day. So when the Lord tells us to do something, and we choose not to, we are playing with power we do not understand at all. This is not meant to come across as a threat and that someone should be living in constant fear all the time, but the church in Corinth understood what they were dealing with to a certain extent, and it put them in a respectful fear because God is not safe, but he is good, and that goodness makes all the difference. Next was what vehement desire, what zeal. These words have similar meaning with shades of difference. But man, were these people excited. I'm still excited to know that if I have an attitude issue, I can have it dealt with. If I have a heart issue, I can have it dealt with. I do not have to be a prisoner of sin or of my past. Things that have happened to me and things that I did to myself can all be dealt with and Jesus will still love me, regardless of what it is. What passion and longing desire that creates in you, but you have to want it. You must want the freedom, not just say it, but desire it. I've gone through the whole process of, dear God, please take away my addiction, and it didn't happen, because in my heart I wasn't ready to give it up because I didn't understand the damage it was doing to me. And if I had fully understood it, at that time, then I would have said, Lord, I am done with this and I am walking away from it. And I would have meant it in my heart and that's the difference. It's the difference between a mental ascent and a submission of the heart. And once your heart is submitted to the truth of what God says about your sin, that's when change can happen. That is when your mind and your will and your emotions begin to come into alignment with Jesus and what his soul is saying about your soul and the things that need to change. The verse in Corinthians goes on to say, what vindication? Now, the Greek word there is ekdikasis. It means retribution or revenge. To have revenge on the sin that has ensnared you. This is not talking about revenge against people because that's not our place. And again, that just brings you into wrath and judgment and then that creates more issues that you need to deal with. Later, Paul goes on to give us a bit of a better understanding here. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, 
casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul is talking about the disobedience in yourself. When you are being obedient, you have freedom. You have knowledge. I have freedom from pornography because I have been obedient to put it off from myself, as we saw back in Colossians 3, verses 8 through 9. Again, I'm assuming you paused the episode to go look that up and read it. If you didn't, now would be a great time to do that. Colossians 3, verses 8 through 9. Now I can have revenge on the defilement by showing others how to get out of it. What the enemy meant for my destruction, God will now use for his glory. And he will use it to bring others out of darkness and into his glory. But I must be obedient. And that's the key part. I must be submitted to it. We are right back at the submission issue. It's funny how we keep going there, isn't it? Because no matter where you go and no matter how you look at this and no matter how you want to spin the scriptures, it always comes back to submitting to the plan and purpose God has for your life and submitting to what he says about sin. If we're not there, we're not going to get to point B, right? You're going to be stuck in point A. So what have we learned here? If we do not have a broken heart over our sin, like James 4, 9, we will not be able to do James 4, 8, where we cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. So ask Jesus to show you what the sin looks like. It doesn't matter what it is. If it is listed as sin in the Bible, ask Jesus to show you. Then let him show you his heart on the matter. Let your heart break with his. And that's going to be key. Then repent of the sin that kept you away from him. He's waiting with open arms. It's not like he has his back turned to you. There is no judgment. That all comes from your flesh. And we saw that in Romans 8 verses 1 through 2. Again, feel free to pause it and go look that up. That's Romans 8, 1 through 2. With that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had with you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you will show us your broken heart. That you will show us how our, our, our sin affects you, affects our relationship with you, and how it is killing us. Lord, we just ask that every listener would be able to see your heart on the matter, that they would understand the brokenness, and that their hearts would break as well. For whatever areas that need to be dealt with, Lord, that there would be no judgment and no condemnation, but that each hearer would understand your love, and that each hearer would be able to receive it and deal with the issue and walk out in freedom. Lord, we just bless every single person hearing this right now, that they would know you, and know your love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.